I can't let that story go out. That's I'm not sure what, what how much of that story I told is going to the show. Welcome to Breaking Vinyl. I'm your host, Des, a.k.a. Johnny, 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 Fever. And as always, I'm joined by my three lovely co-hosts. First up, the podcast are coming through in high fidelity. Evil Ed. Hey, Des, flattery will get you everywhere, brother. Nice. And the podcaster, playing the deep cuts. Dangerous Dave. Hello. And last but not least, the podcaster with a degree in rock and roll. Beaconstein. Hey. <laughs> Sophie's been a little sick this week. That's why he came in a little, a little uh, flat today. <laughs> <laughs> just today yeah. and as always the mission of this show is for us to introduce each other and you the wonderful listeners to albums and bands which you may have never heard of before while also discussing the classics and on occasion we will ruthlessly insult each other's musical taste although I do not think that is going to happen today so sit back and enjoy the show tonight we will be discussing Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, the eighth studio album by the Beatles, produced by George Martin, released on May 26th of 1967 by Parlophone Capital Records. The album reached the number one spot on the Billboard Top LPs. So what, this was before the Billboard 200? Probably. Okay, maybe. <laughs> okay, how exact? The band's lineup was as follows John Lennon, lead, harmony, and backing vocals, rhythm, acoustic, and lead guitars, and Hammond organ. Paul McCartney, lead, harmony, and backing vocals, bass, and lead guitars, and piano. George Harrison, harmonies, backing vocals. Lead and rhythm acoustic guitars, sitar, and lead vocals on with, in, you, without you. I hope that wasn't confusing. <laughs> Ringo Starr, <laughs> drums, congas, tambourine, maracas, hand claps, and lead vocals on with a little help from my friends. Hmm, I like this. So they remind me of Kiss a little bit, right? So we're going to get a little of the, yeah, the, the Paul and Gene vocals. We're going to get the John and Paul vocals. And we're going to get a lovely little song sung by the drummer. Am I right or am I right? I'm right. Oh, you're right. right. Okay. Kiss was the heavy metal Beatles. They really were. Um, <laughs> so I got to just, oh, before God. we get started, let's just run this. <laughs> before we get started, let's just run this around the table. <clears throat> 
Paul McCartney, dead or alive, and was it Billy Shears that carried on with the Beatles after 1966? Dave. Uh, yeah, Paul McCartney's alive. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, as much as that was a super fun rumor, he's definitely alive since I saw him a couple years ago. Uh, well, Billy Shears did look exactly like Paul McCartney. And that is true. Maybe it was surgery. Separated at birth. Okay. And Fee, your thoughts? Paul McCartney's alive. Okay. He always has been. So yep. I did a deep dive on this actually like last summer. Like just, I watched every documentary there was. I was so intrigued by it because the Beatles knew that the fans thought this happened. And they were one of the first bands to use it to sell product. And they put, you know, you'll hear Billy Shear's name mentioned on the first track. Um, you know, this album in particular, the cover is littered with hints saying that, yes, Paul is dead, dead on arrival on his uh, arm patch. You know, on the back, he's not facing the uh, album. I mean, there's just, you know, Abbey Road album. He's got bare feet. The rest of them are dressed for a funeral. I mean, this went on and on and on and on. There were uh, rumors of, you know, gangsters that were involved. It was a lot of fun. So Paul McCartney is alive. It wasn't true. But we never went to the moon. And that's a fact. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. That's a fact. That's a fact. Okay. Um, and speaking of facts, let's do a few. I'll get us started. Number one, Paul McCartney is in fact alive and well. He didn't <laughs> die in 1966 car accident, as believed to be true by many Beatle fans to this very day. Number two, John Lennon was murdered on December 8th, 1980 by one Mark David Chapman. And his last words were, yes, I am. Somebody asked him, are you John Lennon? And that was his reply. Oh. Okay. Um... Dave, what do you got? All right. The uh, classic cover includes images of the younger Beatles in matching suits, uh, which, is, which are wax figures borrowed from Madame Tussauds. Uh, Marlon Brando, Oscar Wilde, Edgar Allan Poe, Marilyn Monroe, Alistair Crowley, W.C. Fields, Laurel and Hardy, and Diana Doors, among many others on the cover. So good. So good. Yep. In uh, 1968, it won four Grammy Awards, including Album of the Year, and it is the first rock LP to receive this honor. Mm, really good. Um, Ed, what do you have on uh, Sgt. Pepper or the Beatles in general? Yeah, I just focused on Sgt. Pepper's. Um, yeah, the album cover is just so good. It's so fun to kind of dig through all the celebrities' faces on it. Um, but the album was inspired... Uh, by the band successfully pressuring Paul McCartney to try LSD. Nice. Uh, he was the last holdout of the band. And uh, the story goes that John Lennon was his master of ceremonies during this trip. And it led to them becoming closer as songwriters as they were starting to distance themselves a bit. Nice. Uh, portions of Sgt. Pepper's shows the Beatles' major influence of blues, Motown, and other major American music styles, uh, which you definitely hear. Uh, some of them I definitely question, where I'm like, I don't know what style they were trying to go here, but it's awesome. Uh, 
the album Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys was a major influence on McCartney in how he approached the harmonic structures during this recording um, of all these songs. Uh, really just Brian Wilson blew his mind as he did everyone else's mind with that album because yeah. that is another <laughs> unbelievable album. Uh, and my final um, note, and this is really probably the most important if you understand how music is re- was recorded back in the day. All of this music was recorded on a four track. Yeah. That is just insane that they were able to do that. Ed, isn't it true that they wanted to come to America to record on more um, up-to-date uh, equipment and in bigger studios, but they were forced by contract to record on this piece of shit fucking deck in um, <laughs> in their home hometown. Correct, right? Uh, that I couldn't tell you. I do not know. Yeah. I have not read anything about that. Yeah. Uh, but I'm also a little overwhelmed with information because, yeah, re- researching this album, there is so many wormholes to go down. Yeah, uh, especially if you just watched both the documentaries. The Peter Jackson one in the, uh, um, what's his name? Richie Cunningham. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Ron Howard. Ron Howard, <laughs> the one he did. Correct. <laughs> really good. Oh, yeah. I'm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure that that is the fact that there was a lot more um, technology available in the States and the studios had come a long way at that time and they were forced to record this album in a studio that was uh, just not up with the times. But it was fine because this oh. guy, these guys... <laughs> You could have recorded them fucking uh, whatever on a yeah. fucking tape recorder, and it was fine. <laughs> it was unbelievable, yeah. Yeah. Uh, is that what you got? You all ready for Fee? That's what I got, yep. All right. You guys ready for this? Fee, what do you got today? <laughs> well, I, I, went, I went down the exact same road that Dave and Ed went, but, um, you know, how could you not talk about the cover? There's just so much going on there. Uh one of the things that that you guys didn't mention that, that I don't know if you guys read anywhere was I guess John Lennon wanted Adolf Hitler to be on the cover, mm. and, the, and the label was like, "No, no fucking chance." <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so I thought that was kind of funny. And then, um, just like you you had mentioned Ed uh, about uh, Pet Sounds from the Beach Boys, of course I gave it a you know a, a little bit of listen, and the most popular track would probably be "Wouldn't It Be Nice," you know, and who doesn't fucking love that song? Well, if you don't. Oh, yeah. there's something wrong with you. But uh, yeah. <laughs> have, have, another album mentioned as being I- an influence on this was uh, the Mothers of Invention, Freak Out. Have you guys ever listened to that shit? I've heard tracks, but that's it. Same <laughs> tracks, Dave. Yeah. Okay. Same. Um, it's yeah. fucking weird. Yeah. It's awesome. Not for me, but pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. So, Sophie, I'm guessing there's tracks on this album that aren't for you. Really, only one. Okay. Other than that, I like pretty much everything. Okay. Yeah. So is that what you got? Yep. Okay. Then let's get into some quick opening thoughts. I'll get us started. I think my opening thoughts are going to echo a lot of Ed's opening thoughts. I was introduced to this album at a very young age. I mean, probably I had to be between like seven and ten. Uh, you know, when you were old enough to absorb information and actually understand what you're listening to and retain the information to adulthood. Um, This is my father's favorite band, period. That's it. It's this, then probably Hendrix, and you can go on from there. Um, This was my mother's brother's 
favorite band. And he was a musician that moved to France and, you know, played the subways and ended up moving to Japan and, you know, playing all the subways and street corners. And that's just what he did. He's an amazing folk guitar player and singer. And these guys introduced me to this album and I loved it. And I remember it vividly, but I haven't listened to it from track one to track 13 in one sitting in so long that a lot of it almost felt like a fresh listen to me, but I have heard it all the way through hundreds of times growing up. So yeah. And I was really looking forward to looking to, to listening to this uh, with a critical ear from beginning to end for the show. And I did probably listen to it about 10 or 12 times during the week, um, which is more than I probably listened to any other album we've done. Uh, in preparation for this. So that's what I got. Ed, what do you got? Dave. Dave, what do you got? <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I, I have heard it a handful of times. Uh, when I was about 18, I had a girlfriend whose parents were a little younger than mine. My parents were kind of older. Uh, so they missed that that generation. They were from before. Uh, her dad made me a couple tapes, you know, Sergeant Peppers and the White Album, I guess because, you know, he was of that generation and I was a musician and he wanted to school me on good music. Nice. When, you know, I was interested in, you know, Kiss and Van Halen and Guns N' Roses. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I checked them out. I listened to them. Uh, shout out to Mr. Mike Miller. Nice. Um, no particular memories on uh, on that. But, uh, you know, of course, you've also heard these songs all over the radio, you know, my whole life. You can't escape them. Yeah, good stuff. Um, <laughs> and and Dave, were those mixed tapes or mixed CDs he was making you? Oh, cassette tapes. Cassette it, tapes. I it love was it. Nine early nineties. So this is a true story. I have a vintage Tascam uh, eight track, like a really cool one but it runs on cassettes like cassettes so, yeah yeah mm-hmm. i mean i've got i've got so many recording devices i've got you know a 24 track digital one that's shoved in a closet now that i work on my computer but i have i still have this and i also have a digital task cam 8 track but i have this old cassette task cam 8 track <laughs> and this is like pretty cutting edge for a cassette one but i didn't have any cassettes and i wanted to set it up and just for nostalgia so i went to a get this radio shack this was years ago. And I went in and I said, can I get some cassettes to the kid? And he was like, I swear to God, guys. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, cassette? <laughs> I'm like, little thing with, and this guy comes up, an older guy, and he goes, I'll take care of him. And he goes, we don't sell them anymore. He goes, but I do have a case in the back if you're interested. When I mean a case, I mean just like a plastic thing with probably like 12 cassettes on it. I'm like, oh, I'll take it. So he brings it out and he's like, I don't know. Give me like two bucks there. <laughs> so, so I gave him the two bucks and I and I took it home and fired it up. But yeah, I just had to tell the story. Cassettes, kids. Cassettes. That's what we used to listen <laughs> yeah, to. They were a thing. <laughs> yes. Um Coming back now. A, yes, and you could stick a pen in each one and tighten them up when they got wonky. Ed, go ahead. Uh yeah, like like Des, I was just I was exposed at a very early age. Uh I'm the my parents are very young. Uh they were kids when they had me. Um, so they were heavily, my father was definitely heavily influenced by the Beatles. Uh, he was guitar player, bass player, singer back in the day. And just, I I can't thank him enough for turning me on to some great music. Uh, you know, the Beatles, the Stones, the Who, uh, just all these epic 
albums because you know I remember our original record player with the crappy speakers and just my dad losing his mind trying to explain these songs to me and how they were put together and just enjoying it with every ounce of my heart and soul. Uh, it's such a great fond memory. But the Beatles were next level and he always just separated them. And when it came to hearing this, the way he would talk about this album specifically and the individual tracks and, you know, what they meant to him and, and just the sounds and how hard it was to do all this back then. It was awesome. It just, it set me up for just really, I fell in love with music after hearing this album on a different level. Uh, I started to pay attention to all the little things because I started to question, wait, what is that? What is that? What the hell's an oboe? Why is there an oboe in this song? Thank you know? God there is. <laughs> yeah. And, and all these things that just, it was like the musical awakening, this album for me. So yeah, kudos to my dad, kudos to my mom, kudos to all the parents out there that expose their kids to music that influence them. I was exposed to a lot of things as a child. <laughs> Ed, how old were your parents when you were uh, when you were conceived? Uh, they were seventeen and eighteen. That's amazing. My father, my was, mother graduated high school the year I was born. My father was eighteen and my mother was nineteen. So there we go. Yeah, we share that in common. I have great success. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> B, what do you got? Exposed is such a dirty word sometimes. Huh? It was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know why this came to mind, but I was always thinking of airplane. Uh, have you ever seen a grown man naked? You know, um, <laughs> so good. <laughs> just, <I don't> know. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My dad so, says you don't play enough defense. <laughs> you know, your dad's never gone up against Will Chamberlain. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so good. So good. Um, I've heard this. I can't say I have the same, you know, like origin story that you guys have when it comes to the Beatles, but I'm, I'm going to imagine they were like uh, what crack was for Des, uh, the Beatles were for me. Once I started hearing them, I couldn't get enough of that shit and I listened to nothing <laughs> but for a while. So, yeah. So, yeah. Oh. Good stuff. I had, crack a short for ro- Des. I had a short romance with Free Days Cocaine. <laughs> Let's not overplay it. <laughs> <laughs> okay um let's do the fast five i'm really enjoying this segment guys i i have to tell you i'm enjoying creating it each week for us so let's get into it <clears throat> the fast five this week is going to be would you rather would you rather <laughs> he's already Uh-oh. making faces <laughs> okay dave <clears throat> would you rather Spend one year in a rough prison population with a sketchy cellmate or two years in solitary confinement. Two years in solitary for sure. Okay. Ed. Do that standing on my head. (laughs) Ed, same question. (laughs) Same answer. Solitary. Okay. And feet. Same. Yeah, totally solitary. And for me also solitary. I fucking, I'm not built for population. Number two, Dave, would you rather a mild case of genital herpes that can easily be controlled with a prescription topical cream or a really bad case of facial acne that is always running wild no matter what you do 
The kind of dripping crispy acne that makes it hard for people to look directly at you. <laughs> well, you make the second one sound so appealing. <laughs> I, I, I got to go for, for the uh, mild genital herpes. <laughs> okay. Okay. Ed, what do you got? Yeah, I'll take the uh, cream over <laughs> over the never-ending exploding face skin. Pizza face. I'm dying. B, what do you got? Yeah. Herpes for 200 days. days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm taking the herpes too. My, I told my wife, yeah. she's like, no, you, you, you're, first of all, you're fucking insane with your stupid questions. She goes, second of all, you, you take the acne. Yeah. Can't have general herpes, but now I'm going with the herpes and the topical cream. Number yep. three, I think I know where we're all going with this one. No hands or no feet. Dave. <laughs> no feet. <laughs> and definitely no feet. Feet. I, I, yeah, three for three. What the fuck? And, and honestly, what good is a fucking Oculus if you have no hands? Fee <laughs> <laughs> okay. is yeah. making a uh, a wrist jacking off with his wrists. I believe that was that was the motion. Okay. Yes. Yep. Number four, blind or deaf. This is a tough one. This is a tough one as a music lover, but. Also love movies. So, Dave, what do you got? Blind or deaf? Yeah, that's a tough choice. Um, I would have to go blind, I guess. Blind? Whoa! No fucking way. Uh, Ed, blind or deaf? Yeah, this is... It's... Oh, this is such a tough question because I totally get it. I... To not hear music or sounds is terrible, but I got to think... Being blind is worse, so I would rather be deaf. Yeah, Ed. I mean, uh, Fee, what do you got? Blind or deaf? I'd just fucking kill myself um, <laughs> if I had either of those, I think. But deaf, we'll go with deaf. Uh, well, I mean, by your album picks, I guess you're halfway there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so for me, it's not even close. I mean, come on. I want to watch the Super Bowl. I want to watch MMA. I want to fucking look at my Oculus. I mean, I don't want to listen to my wife. It's deaf. It's deaf. All day. It's deaf. Oh, my God. That's like that uh, little short video that goes out of the dude who's deaf who gets the ear ear implant. And he hears his wife and he starts crying. And the guy's like, oh, my God. It's so great. Why are you crying? He's like, oh, my God. Is this what she sounds like? Take it out. I don't want to listen to this the rest of my life. Oh, my God. So we went to the casino last night. I drove. And, and whenever I drive with my wife, she can't stand. I'm the old guy. I'm, you know, you should fucking make a law that if you're looking at your cell phone while you're driving, you lose your oh. license for three years. First offense. Second time. You know, I'm, cars shouldn't be allowed to go over 90 miles an hour. The speed limit's 100. Why do you need And she's like, will you just shut the fuck up? Shut up. And by the time we get home, she's like, she literally just jumps out of the car. Is like, I fucking hate you. Shut up. <laughs> I would love to be in the back seat while you and Fee yeah. drive. Oh god, I'm bad. I'm in this. I'm in the slow lane. Like you two are the same yes. exact person. I'm in the slow lane, like creating laws and fucking <laughs> handing out tickets and <laughs> it's insane. Okay, so number five, and this one, pay attention because this is a big one. <clears throat> would you rather? So here's the scenario. You cut your dick off in a freak shaving accident, and it cannot be reattached. Would you rather remain a dickless Ken doll or 
Would you rather have a doctor replace your dickless Ken doll crotch with a nice, fresh vagina implant? Dave. Ooh, that, that could be interesting. <laughs> sure, I'll go with the implant. Why not? Okay, so Dave would like a vagina. Ed, what is your answer? Uh, there, I have so many follow-up questions. <laughs> oh, um... Yeah, I think I'd have to go with, I'd have a, rather a vagina than nothing. Okay. And, wow. Okay. And feet. Oh, yeah. I'd be fisting myself all day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Yeah. So I, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, think about all the wonderful things you could do with your new fresh vagina. The things yep. you could put in it. You could, like, watch it. You could, you could go down to the docks and wait for the fleet to come in. I mean, so many opportunities here. Wait for the fleet to come in. Okay. I think we've done the fast five today. Only fans. Uh, oh, God. Okay. Let's do the, uh, wait till next week. We're doing, uh, would you rather Christmas presents? Which would you rather have? Okay. Here we go. Track number one. Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. So I love the sound of the audience as the track comes in. It just sets the mood for the album. Here we go. Then we're going to get this classic 60s guitar sound and groove that the Beatles made oh so popular. The melody and the lyrics are frigging ridiculously good. And I was at first put off a little bit by the choice to pan these lead vocals, hard left and hard right. Did you guys notice that? Mm-hmm. At first, I shook my headphone thing. and I'm like, are my headphones broken? Like, I literally thought maybe they were, like, cutting out a little bit. But no, it's uh, it was a choice. And after listening to it several times, I loved it. And I'm going to tell you why. When, the moment when I said, oh, I get it, when the second verse comes in and fucking Paul is hot in my left ear and it makes the verse feel aggressive and hot. I mean, it, it works so much better than if it had just been down the middle for this one song and they didn't follow the formula for the whole album. So loved it. Dave. Well, it's good opening. Uh, some gnarly guitar, good, strong vocal panned over to the right. Uh, I like the orchestra coming in. That sounds nice. And we get some big harmony vocals to the left. Uh, This is regarded as one of the first rock concept albums in which the album is loosely based on the idea of the Sgt. Pepper's band being a fictitious old-timey English band, which reportedly gave the Beatles more creative freedom to sort of bust out of their shells. Nice. Uh, Ed, talk about it. Yeah, funny you mentioned that, Dave, because that's exactly what I wrote. I'm like, is this like one of the first concept albums because... The idea is genius. And that's kind of how I listen to this whole album is, you know, the the song is the opening overture of a show that we're all about to witness. You have the live sound of the orchestra and the audience pre-show chatting, which is awesome. Um, And then the show starts and the story opens with a wall of sound that you just can't appreciate George Martin enough for. Um, the lyrics next level is it's like you, you have this MC that then introduces Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band, and then it uh, flows into this beautiful horn section, <clears throat> and then it transitions to the band actually performing. Then they introduce Billy Shears as the singer of the band, 
which then transitions into the next song that has a different singer. So it's kind of like just absolute genius storytelling, in my opinion. Ed, I believe that Billy Shears was supposed to be Ringo Starr, though, the drummer. Yes. Yeah, and they correct. introduce him and who sings the next song. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Great. Ringo Starr. Right. Got it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. You know what? It's funny you say that, how this sets up as, you know, the live performance. Maybe that was the choice to put the vocal hard left the way it would have been on stage, you know, yeah. kind of set it up like that. Uh, you, are you good with that? Yeah. Fee, yeah. talk about it. Yeah, I think I thought I read somewhere that the the audience that they used was from one of their own recordings of a show at uh, the Hollywood Bowl or something like that. Do you guys find that too? No. Um, but yeah, no, no, this is a killer track. Like this is uh, this is great. And when they mentioned Billy Shears, one of the rabbit holes I kind of went down and I didn't find a lot of information on was if this was the alter ego for Ringo, then who were the other alter egos? That that wasn't really mentioned anywhere did you guys find any information on that sophie billy shares is a real person he is the okay. guy who won the lookalike contest to be paul mccartney and he is a actual guitar player bass player musician from their hometown and he is the one that everybody says replaced paul mccartney in 1966 when he died in a car crash which is adds to the lore of this album and the and the fucking conspiracy theory that Paul McCartney is dead. Yeah, the Beatles are weird. And why did they add the Either name? Way. Why why add yeah. Billy Shears, a real person, to this album as an alter ego? Why? Yeah. I'm not sure, guys. Because they're brilliant. I think yep. he might be dead. <laughs> <laughs> Either way. <laughs> Playlist. This song's amazing. Playlist. Okay. Yep. Track two. And can we even call this track two? Because it melts so effortlessly. The transition out of Sergeant Pepper's into this is so smooth. It's it's the same song. Come on. This is just an extension of Sergeant Pepper. Let's be honest. It's amazing. Uh, the song is just beautiful. The egg shaker, the over the top bass lines that he is playing are fucking incredible. Um, again, the lyrics, the melodies, which are what make the Beatles so fucking amazing. These guys sang so well together. Um, and specifically in the bridge sections, they move me. These vocals in the bridges are just, ah, they're fucking amazing. Uh, Dave, talk about it. Yeah, we got a Ringo vocal here. Uh, great bass line. Uh, Paul was very big on playing melodic bass lines. We kind of talked about that a little bit already. Uh, influenced by the Beach Boys and James Jamerson. Uh, personally, I am a little more of a fan of the Joe Cocker version of this song. Uh, but uh, great backup vocals from the other guys. And the uh, backup vocals even act as a substitute for horn parts at the end. Dave, I couldn't uh, disagree with you more on the Joe Cocker thing. Ed, what do you got? <laughs> Actually, I was. it's kind of amazing that this song came out, when was it, 67? Uh, 68. 68. Okay, didn't Joe Cocker release it like shortly after it came out? Probably months or a year or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't disagree with Dave, but it's one of those. I think it's just Joe Cocker's voice has so much more emotion in it. So different. Oh, yeah. It's Such a different that version. low, scratchy. It's like one of the few songs that he sings that I'm like, his voice is meant for this song. <laughs> I think he just, he adds something that Ringo doesn't have uh, vocally. But when it comes to songs, I mean, 
one thing you got to give Beatles credit for, they they all wrote songs and everyone's going to be a part of everything on this on each album. Ringo always had a song, you know, and they wrote this specifically for Ringo with keeping the key and register of the melody low, except for the last note. <laughs> um, but really, Ringo absolutely destroys this song in the best way possible. I love the way his voice works with the back and forth conversation with the harmonies of John, Paul, and George. I think it's beautiful. The drums, bass, and piano are so full and provide absolute joy throughout. The tempo of the song and the flow, it grabs your soul and just starts taking it for a dance. Uh, really, it, it's, it's a great anthem on how important friends are and the stresses of being alone uh, when you really kind of break down the vocals. Uh, the harmonies, melody, lyrics, they just shine throughout. And the bass line in this song exemplifies what a bass player should be. It creates its own melody around everything, but comes back to the root at all the right times. It's just, it's one of my favorite bass lines. Nice. Okay, so um, Joe Cocker's version is sweaty, uh, twitchy, yep. constipated, yep. fucking pushed, awful garbage version it. of this compared to Ringo's sweet, beautiful, British, emotional, buttery, amazing performance. So you guys are both wrong. Pete, what do you got? And will you chime in on <laughs> Joe Cocker? I, I like both versions. Uh, not going to lie. It depends on my mood. But it, I guess for me, a song like this is like, isn't it amazing how s- – the songs kind of sounds super simple, but it's really not very simple at all, you know? Exactly. And, and that's kind of the beauty of it for me. I love Ringo's voice. I love his playing. I love everything about it. This is totally yeah. the song. Story of this whole album, Fee, really. How simple it yeah. is, like you guys said, right from the top and right down to the foundation, built on a four track. What? Okay. Yeah. It um, sounds simple, but it is so incredibly complex. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And yeah. that's what separates the Beatles as songwriters. They take things that are incredibly hard and make them sound effortless and simple. Well, I would like to dedicate this song to our listeners and you three. There you go. Okay. <laughs> this guy say I have no heart. Number three, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Uh, so this iconic guitar riff that's panned hard right, grouped with all the symbols hard right with it and again you know being it's a four track i mean i don't know how many options they had for all this to make it sound different and amazing but i loved it uh then we get the lead guitar hard left and it is killer uh when we get the vocals so good and this slight pause we get for the dramatic suspense the dramatic pause right before the chorus oh it's so effective when it finally breaks in. It's I'm I'm sold, and more great bass lines. And uh, honestly, I just could not love this track anymore. It's fucking awesome, Dave. What do you got? Uh, lots of effects on this at a time where effects had to be created physically and not just a box to plug into or a button to push on your computer. Uh, not really a fan of uh, Lennon's nasal delivery here. Um, not digging the psychedelic lyrics, uh, but great bass. Uh, the tom drum counting in the chorus is great. You kind of mentioned that part. 
Uh, they leave lots of room for the vocal in the center with all the instruments panned to the sides. Hmm. Uh, very uncommon for a rock band where normally nowadays it's pretty standardized. Uh, somewhere I read they spent weeks on the mono mix of the album and only two or three days mixing the stereo version. Uh, at this point in the album, I went back and restarted listening, but in the mono version, uh, it seemed a lot more cohesive, a little flatter, but but definitely much more solid. It's it's kind of a whole different whole different ball game. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that about the panning and how they panned everything hard right left to leave room for the vocals up the middle, because that kind of escaped me on the listen, and I was wondering why they did that with the symbols. And I'm glad that you brought light to that because it was a great production choice. And I have to say that you are completely out of your mind with the John Lennon comment. Vocals <laughs> are amazing. And mm. uh, yeah, fucking, I, and I like the stereo version of this album more than the mono version personally. Uh, Ed, what do you got? Yeah, this, this is about as far over away from anything that had been written at that time, in my opinion. Uh, the wide spectrum of writing ability really shines on this song. Um, the song was titled when a three-year-old Julian Lennon showed his father a drawing of his classmate Lucy and called it Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Nice. And then uh, Lennon wanted to keep kind of with that idea and styled the lyrics off Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland. Mm. Uh, the opening counter melody, I believe, is played on a lowery organ uh, that had the special device to make it sound similar to a Celesta, uh, which is like a three-key piano organ type thingy, almost harpsichordy like um, But what really just blew me away, especially when I was going down the, the wormhole on this. The tempo and key changes throughout this song all blend together with perfection because you have a 3-4 time that goes into a 4-4 time in the chorus. And then each part of the song is a different key yeah, that they perform in it. And I'm like, and you don't even notice it unless you really pay attention. And I once I paid attention, now I can't unhear it and I'm in love with it. Because it did. This is one of those songs that I just grew to not like because I would put this cassette on every night when I went to bed, when I first got this and this song would come on and it was always the song that would get me to wind down, mellow out. And it just grew long for me, you know, that, and I was probably getting high so much that, Hey, let's just do this song. Yeah. Cool. Cause we thought we were cool. 14 year olds getting stoned in an abandoned house. that was ready to fall down on us. So, Ed, they do that a few times on this album, that um, tempo change and key oh, change. Like, yeah. yeah, like there's a couple where it like really stood out and I actually put it in my notes. I didn't notice it so much here because like you said, it's so effortless. There's a couple where they hit you over the head with it, but they do it so effortlessly. And yeah. poor fucking Julian Lennon, you know, his father just treated him like shit. And oh, he total. fucking plagiarized Lucy and this guy with diamonds and then fucking, God, I hate <laughs> you. Go away, Julian. Julian yeah. Lennon, very only, only Yoko's son is the one that matters. Bullshit. I liked his single too. I thought it was really good. I thought Julian Lennon had a beautiful voice and I thought he was Absolutely. very talented. Uh, Fee, what do you got? Dave, what's in the bottle, man? It is uh, water with iced tea mix. 
Okay. Mm, sounds I healthy. I couldn't tell by the color what, what you had going on. But, uh, Looks like cool Jack game. Daniels. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so you never cool. know, man. Never know. If your That's urine right. is that color, seek help. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, immediately. Immediately. Um, no, obviously, I love this song. There's no no doubt about that. Um, the one thing I kept going back to this week is like, we could probably make a spelling bee out of this fucking track alone, like kaleidoscope and plasticine <laughs> and like all of that, you know, and maybe we should, I don't know. Um, we, we missed the feature for today. Ed, yeah. Right. Ed, Desi and I would be battling for last place. And didn't your band do some Beatles ripoff song called Mr. Yeah, kaleidoscope? We had, a, we had a song called Mr. Kaleidoscope. Yeah. Oh God, I don't remember and, liking it. And my dad's the one who inspired the lyrics for it to Scott. Oh, now I feel bad. Maybe it was no, good. don't feel bad. It's he he he. Uh, Scott was. I remember we. I think we had an idea of like some music. I think Matt had it, and uh, Scott couldn't think of anything like a topic. And my dad one day just goes, "Oh, just picture a guy seeing the world through a kaleidoscope." Mr. Kaleidoscope. You know, all the different perspectives. And then Scott went, oh, my God, that's pretty cool. So, yeah. Yeah, and your big hit was uh, the Lita Ford song with different words, right? Uh, love da, 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 no, oh, it ain't so easy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. That was <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you guys might have done it first. I don't know. Okay. No. Uh, uh, actually, I think we did. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, that catchy, catchy little keyboard lick in yeah, that. Hey. Yeah. 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 Okay. Guitar, Matt and Rich did an excellent job. They did. Um, track number four, getting better. Uh, the impact fans were, uh, good. You guys had good fans, man. They, they fucking loved you guys. They loved they you guys. They loved you guys. <laughs> I caught uh, the end of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there okay. were definitely some epic parties. <laughs> there were, there were, um, getting better track number four. So this is a true ultra classic rock song. I mean, I mean, it's like one of the OGs. Um, I love the hi-hat that fucking Ringo's playing. It almost reminds me of the way, like, in the 80s videos, the fucking drummer would kind of, like, they'd he'd just be, like, clanking over to the side with the two sticks on the hi-hat. It's really cool. Um, it's so rock and roll. The guitar track in my left ear, really, really good. The little chopping lick he's playing. Eh, eh, eh. It's fucking cool as fuck. Um, and the melody in the last part of each chorus where they... It's so good. It's so fucking good. I mean, so far, all I have to say is it's so fucking good on every track because it is. Uh, Dave, go ahead. Didn't they use this for a commercial somewhere? I, I feel like that kind of ruined this song for like a oh, Hope so Depot many. commercial or some shit. <laughs> oh, no. Um, okay, so we could do a whole show on the differences between the mono and the stereo mix. Uh, for those who don't know, mono means all the instruments in the recording were mixed to be heard on one speaker, like in an old transistor pocket radio. Uh, these kind of mixes were prevalent until the late 60s when stereo became more popular, which is mixed for a left and a right speaker. And, and you can, you know, pan to one or the other or, you know, straight down the middle for both. Uh, they really jump right into the song where they could have padded out the beginnings and the endings to make a song that's uh, two minutes and 48 seconds. They could have expanded it to like five minutes if they wanted to. Uh, the guitar pretty much sits in one spot where the bass does all the moving uh, harmonically. Uh, lots of vocals, a seemingly happy song with an undercurrent of cynicism from Lennon's backup vocals. They should have recorded it in doubly. 
<laughs> you mean Dolby? You fucking dumb bitch. Yeah, Ed, what do you got? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, the opening guitar is gorgeous. It's basically, it's the guitar given the eight count for the band to come in. <laughs> yeah. it's And yes. it's just, I'm like, it's brilliant. It's a beautiful chord. Uh, I just, I love it. Uh, the chorus line right at the beginning of the song grabs you right away. And then the bass and drums come in and the guitar just backs right off. And it's, ah, oh, just, it's so great when you hear a band not be like, well, I got to play here. I got to play there. You know, because that's usually what people's egos get in the way of the bigger picture. And, you, and if you watch a documentary, obviously there is some egos, but they always seem to work together. And I love that. Um, the arrangement of the song really grabs me. To be able to picture all the little sections that are in this song and put them all together. Because it's almost like everyone has this little piece of well, I got this riff and I got this riff and I got this drum track and they just made it all work as one song. I, it, it blew me away. The vocal layers with the harmonies behind the verse, the falsetto in the pre-chorus and then the harmonies with the back and forth. Oh, it's just gorgeous. The hand claps that are in the background and the hi-hat really drive the song. You nailed it, Des. It is that hi-hat. It's just the big open... Hi-hat just, oh, I loved it. Uh, it's just, it's another great song, honestly. And, and I picture as this whole thing goes, like I'm watching a theater musical. It's almost like it's a production in front of me. And it's taken me emotionally on this ride, and I love it. Oh, so good. Yeah, Paul McCartney said that he, that John Lennon only uh, complimented him one time on his songwriting in all the years they worked together. And he said that it felt like a little bit of a competition between them. You know, John Lennon would write a song about his hometown and then Paul McCartney would come right back with Penny Lane. And they did this back and forth and it really speared the uh, the amazing songs that came out of the Beatles because these two pushed each other to one-up each other over and over and over and it just created a catalog of songs that are unchallenged by any other band ever. Yeah, Period. competition competition is good. In yeah, but only so when the two ways. people are talented. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, if, if one person writes these great songs and then the other person writes a shitty song, yeah. and they're like, here's my answer, and everyone's just like, oh. Yeah, or if it's like a band like, you know, Winger or Mr. Big, and these two guys are challenging uh, each other with no song from the Illinois yeah. Rocks. Okay, Fee, go ahead. Man, it, it is funny when you think of that. Like, these guys complimented each other so well, but apparently maybe didn't really – I don't know if it was like a lack of mutual respect, dislike, whatever, you know, th something like that. But they complimented each other really well in their in their writing and the way they approach music in general. Uh, Dave, you brought up something, that hint of cynicism from uh, Lennon that I thought was pretty cool. I never listened to these lyrics really before until, the, until this week. And then, you know, McCartney with his – getting better all the time, like positivity. And then Lennon, well, couldn't get much worse, you know? And it's, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's uh, it, it pretty cool. Just the way they compliment one another. So either way, whatever issues they had, they worked out. And I'm, I love this song. I also never realized this song had the uh, lines about beating your girl. I, I, I was that like cool in the sixties or something? Like, I don't know. You know? <laughs> I know. A lot of dads, you know, come home and unwind, beat mom. Yeah, right, right. I, I think that's what it was. I think it's a lot of that generation growing up as kids 
knowing that their drunk dads usually beat the shit out of their moms. Yeah, and all those okay. kids got jobs and raised families and were fucking good citizens. Maybe we need Until a little bit they more fucking became their dads. Yeah, yeah, and there you go. Okay, okay. I think the kids today could use a little bit more fucking ass whooping. These damn kids. I'm a fucking old yes. man now. I'm so bad. Get off my lawn. Okay, uh, fixing a hole in the ceiling, I am guessing. Uh, so, like every song on the album, I love the lyrics on this track. Um, the guitars by George Harrison on this, fucking awesome. Really awesome. And he's an awesome guitar player and underrated. And again, I always go back to this, man. These guys back then were playing chords and licks that kind of forgotten and they're just so thick and just so much better than bar chords that we got in the 80s or just, you know, open G, D, C. It's like they're playing all the same fucking notes, but they're playing these complicated, beautiful fucking uh, blues and formations of these chords that just, to me, sound so much more soulful and just so much richer and more complicated. And oh, I just love it. Dave, what do you got? Yeah, we open with a little harpsichord here. Uh, some great guitar harmonies uh, in the in the song. Uh, the lyrics, upon inspection, seem kind of bland, but somehow they seem like they're important. There's a little more going on under the surface. Uh, maybe fixing a hole is a uh, needle in the arm. You know who knows. <laughs> Yeah, I took it as for myself. I mean, I think you kind of per perception is everything. I kind of felt like it was like his mental well-being. He was fixing a hole in his, you know, in his head, in his psyche. But I don't know. Could that's be. just how I saw it. Ed, what do you got? Yeah, so the opening of this, it just makes me feel like it's like a vaudeville show. Like it's, it's just, I'm watching the stage presence and, you know, Dave said it with the harpsichord. George Martin playing that harpsichord, I think, was great. Uh, the song, again, takes us in a different direction. It's like everything we've heard so far doesn't match up with what we've heard previously, yet they all work so well together. Uh, listening, you hear all the ensemble background vocals throughout that are just so good, so good. The guitar is genius in the way it fills all the gaps in the song so perfectly. Uh, kudos to to George Harrison. I mean, totally underrated, like you said, does. It just, oh, he's great. Um, this is where, like I said, I've like I've said previously, that it I feel like I'm listening and I'm getting an image of the show. And the show starts to enter the mystery part now where you're starting, the stress is starting to build and you're asking yourself what's going to happen next and where's it going to go? It's It's just... Oh, I love it. I absolutely love it. Agreed. Fee, what do you got on this one? Yeah, I didn't have much on this. It's, it's a very likable song, but it just kind of reminded me of uh, just like Des, your take and Dave, your take on this song is um, I read an article recently where a student had sent, you know, like 40 years ago, letters to all of these famous authors asking if they intentionally use symbolism in their writing. And by and large, most of them came back with like, fuck, no, no, it just happens, you know, and, it, and it's up to the, the user, the end user, the reader to interpret whatever they want out of this, you know, and I think the Beatles do a nice job of that with us with a song like this, because I, I'm sure if you ask the four of us, we'd come up with four different answers as to what fixing a oh, whole yeah. means. So, yep. yeah, play this track. 
good too. That's what I love about perspective. I mean, you know, I can look at Winger and know they're gay. Ed can look at Winger and fucking love it. I mean, it's all perspective. It's all how you're looking at things. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. I thought, I thought uh, you were going to say Ed could look at Winger and turn gay. I, don't know. <laughs> I, I, I can't wait to one day post the picture of your band from L.A. does. That band was YouTube from Boston. Channel. That band was from oh, Boston. That band was from Boston? <laughs> Correct. Oh. Okay. Oh, boy. How did you not get your ass kicked every day? Because I'm not a pussy. Oh, I love you, Des. Okay. Um, <laughs> number six, she's leaving home. Okay, so these two songs back to back, these are um, these are deeply lyrically written, which is why I like these two tracks so much. Not because they're catchy, not because they're amazing songs, because I really like the way they're written. Um, from a storytelling point of view. Um, it's a gentle, wonderful track. It's full of amazing strings. It's so full of talent and amazing lyrics that really tell a story of family, life, loss, love, growing up, moving on. It's amazing. It tells the story of the end of a couple who raised a child and then the child going out and finding her place in the world and it's it's a it's a journey and I love it. I do. Uh the vocals are just lovely. They're wrapped in perfect harmonies. I love this track. Dave, what do you got? Great strings on this. Uh more yes. of these uh mundane sounding lyrics that seem more important and deeper than on the surface. Uh, you can make the argument of the teens of the time becoming adults and rebelling against their parents and the system. Uh, translating to the overall pop culture influence on youth could be that that inspiration for this song just sort of uh you know busting away from mom and dad and you know going out into the world and doing things on your own nice ed what do you got yeah it's really well said dave uh yeah beautiful harp opens the song the story begins with an really just smooth melody and lyrics supported by the strings that are just next level uh, so what I was reading about the story is that it's about a 17-year-old girl who leaves her home with her boyfriend. He was not who she thought he was. She found uh, days late. She was found days later because she let the location of her boyfriend's job slip, which is the whole car salesman reference. Uh, when she returns home, she is pregnant and gets an abortion. Oh, shit. For 68. That's heavy which is why like now and funny because I, I i read that and then i reread the lyrics i'm like oh now the end of the song makes so much sense nice uh you know because i i thought it went down a different road but the, it fits better with that story uh, but when you think about that story and you hear how beautiful the song is it just it's amazing because I'm, I'm just like it's i don't feel depressed afterwards because everything just sounds so beautiful and it's so emotional. Like you can hear each character's perspective and emotion when they're telling, when you're listening to the line that is from their point of view. Nice. Uh, again, the Beatles are just second to none in their ability to write any kind of song. Nice. Fee, uh, pro-life or pro-choice? No, I'm just, please don't answer. <laughs> just talk about the song. 
Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's start a whole problem well, right there. Let's not. Yeah. Let's not. No, let's not. Let's not. Um, yes, that's my answer. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. This was the one song on the album this week that I found myself enjoying more and more, and it was the the vocal. The vocal on this track was fucking amazing, and it just hit me like harder and harder every time I listened to it this week. So playlist song for me. I didn't really have much on it other than that. Nice. Uh, you guys cover it perfectly well. So track seven, being for the benefit of Mr. Kite. This song for me is, I mean, I'll, I'll let it slip. This is the one that I'm going to cut from the album. Just because I have to. Because I have to. Not because it's I hate it. Because here's the thing Dave said earlier. This was a time when you couldn't push a button to get an effect. You couldn't plug into a pedal or a box. So if I was listening to this and this was recorded in, let's say, 1982, or when uh, Welcome to My Nightmare was recorded, I probably wouldn't like it as much as I do. I like it so much because it is, full, all right, the music, so imaginative, full of time changes, Ed, like you were saying. Um and just amazing drums. It's a wild ride. So many cool sounds and notes going on left and right. It was a lot of fun for me. And I was so impressed with what they were able to accomplish with so little. It sounds like it was recorded in the 80s. I mean, it does. These sounds just weren't available in 1968. So for that reason, I still give this song a pass. It's still a good song. Dick. It's not a rock song, and the last one wasn't either, uh, but that's okay. Uh, this is very much in line with the album concept, uh, almost carnival music, almost kind of silly. You could say it travels into creepy carnival territory. Uh, I like it, but it just has that, that weirdness to it. Uh, great instrument track and supposedly inspired by an actual old circus poster that they got, and John Lennon just kind of copied some of the stuff off the poster and fixed up the lyrics and there you go. <laughs> nice. Ed, yeah. what do you got? All right. So last song side one, we're about to approach intermission. Yes. Anyone, anyone who has been to a theater knows exactly what's about to happen and what you want to convey for a feeling right before intermission. And I think the song Nails it. Agreed. Absolutely nails it for this album. Um, if there was ever a song I wish I could hear isolated tracks on, it's this. Because the layers and layers and layers are beyond genius. Mm -hmm. I mean, the bass line's ridiculous. All the carnival sounds. And just the individual, the more I listen to it, the more I heard it, I'm like, wait, what's doing that? What's doing this? Oh, it's just, it's next level. And to remember that this was all done on a board track, is just incomprehensible to me. Uh, the writing and recording were on a level yet to be imagined. I mean, think about like doing this song. This is a song you would expect to hear today because it's easy to do today. Yeah, that's, that's what made it so impressive for me. It's oh, fucking amazing. So good. 1968. It's, it's probably the most, um, technologically advanced song on this album, right? So for that yeah, reason, absolutely. so for that reason, yes. Uh, Pete, yeah. go ahead. Right. And, and you guys are right. And that's, I gave it more points than I probably should have for, for that reason. But 
because it was, you know, late sixties and this just wasn't, there's no way this was an easy song to put together, but I'm not big into the carnival type thing. It was a little too, yeah, I don't know, gimmicky for me, but good job. You took a circus poster from fucking 1843 and wrote a decent song. So well done. Okay. So this is the intermission, like Ed said, and during the intermission, I'd like to tell you guys a little story. If you'll allow me two or three minutes. So I have a question to you. Dave, have you ever taken ecstasy? I have not. Ed, have you ever taken ecstasy? I have not. Fee, have you ever taken ecstasy? Not intentionally. Okay. Well, that's oh. a story. You, you can tell that story on your own time. So here we go. <laughs> um, when I was living in San Francisco, I have never, I've only taken ecstasy one time, and this is it. So I met this topless dancer. Great tits. So she had invited me to her apartment and we were going to take ecstasy. So at the time, this was a new drug basically in San Francisco. So I got there and she had two little tiny packages with powder in it. And she mixed a little in one glass for her of uh, water, I believe, and a little in the other one. And we drank it. And some time went on and we were having some drinks and she said, let's go into the bedroom. So we did. We went into her bedroom and we were on the bed and "Mm -hmm, things were happening. And uh, before the deed happened, she said, can we go into my closet? She had a large closet. And I said, why? And she goes, it's very dark in there. So we went into this closet and it was pitch dark. She shut the door. So I just couldn't see anything. So that's that's the story. I'm going to end it there. Um, she had great tits. Okay. So let's move on. Uh, at side B. Within you, without you. Um, God, How I fitting. Went... You told the story right beside the, right before this. <laughs> I borderline regret telling even half that story now. Okay. Track it. Yeah. With... Within you, without you. This is one of my favorite Beatles songs ever. Uh, The Beatles went to Rishikesh in India to study transcendental meditation, which is on my bucket list to do. If I had enough money right now, I would be on a flight to India and I would spend two weeks there and I would find a guru and I would sit in a temple for two weeks and I would just meditate to Om chanting and learn the techniques that the Beatles learned. Hold on, on hold on. Yes. Hold on. Yes. There is zero chance you would go there. No. You that... won't leave your house. Never mind get on an airplane <laughs> to fly 23 hours to India to then get off the airplane and realize what India is actually like. Your germaphobe and everything else would you'd probably find the nearest cliff to jump off of. No, I would do this. I would do this. I, this is this is what I want to do: is go to different temples and learn different techniques of meditation and, uh, yeah, just different states of consciousness. And this, this is what makes me tick. That's how I spend my most of my time is just searching these things out on YouTube and practicing them in the dark in my room for hours at a time for years. So that's what I do. Keeps me sane. Um, so the lyrics on this so important, so real. Uh, these are lessons we all need in our lives. Um, 
yeah, and there's someone that's just into this stuff. This really resonated with me. And yes, I am a crazy person. You people probably are like, what? He's not into this. No. If you had met me before my shift to meditation and spirituality and sobriety, you would have turned and run for cover because I was a fucking grenade. Dave, what do you got? <laughs> ah, fuck. Here we go with the major league hippie bullshit. Uh, I, I did not like this. Uh, if they combined this with something a little more straight ahead, it would have been okay, but I thought this was just bad. British okay. colonialism at its worst. Okay. <laughs> oh, shit. Ed, did you understand this, Ed? Did this resonate with you? Um, I get the song, but yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the song. Oh, listen to the words again, dudes. Dave, God, what what were you what were you saying? Oh uh, yeah, it just meanders off the tracks in the middle and then returns to the the awful main section of the song. It, it just wasn't for me. I didn't like it. But the words, you guys didn't hear the message, what they're saying about life and death, and if you don't get it before you die, and you didn't get how deep these lyrics went. Man There's... missed those. <laughs> I got it. I got it. He said he missed dead. those. <laughs> I get it, and, and I know what, you, what you're saying does. I love, you can always tell when George Harrison is a major influence in a song because he is addicted to the sitar. As soon as he went the whole Carrie Krishna route, that was it. Everything had a sitar in it. Yes. And it's a great sound, but it needs to be in moderation. Uh, you know, it's, it, I get it. I like it. And I love the tribal drums that come in. You know, it's 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 like a great... I kind of like it because it's a good coming back from intermission song. You know, it's almost monotone of the lyric melody. Is It's surrounded by multiple layers of strings of all types and instruments. Um, I find the song to be hypnotic. You know, kind of like you're saying, it's almost trance-like. A great way to bring us back to the story, although I feel as if I'm somewhere else and not where the story wants us to be. Um, the music is definitely too long in the middle. Um, it misdirects my expectations of what's to come. And I appreciate the song, but yeah, it. I just think it's not what I was hoping it would be. But it's still a great song, standalone. We're talking about the space between us all and the people who hide themselves behind a wall of illusion. Never glimpse the truth, then it's far too late when they pass away. It's, it's amazing. We talk about the love we all could share. Uh, it's, oh, dude, this is fucking great. Fee, go ahead. I'm with you, Des. I think this is great. I love it. I love it. Dave hates hippies. That's confirmed now. Yeah. Um, and that's okay. God damn well, right. Uh, I, you know, I love George Harrison. His album, All Things Must Pass, is oh, amazing. So amazing. Good. Um, and, you know, I, I, I don't know if it's true or not, but I think he worked with Ravi Shankar on the sitar, you know, and, and did that. And I actually saw Ravi Shankar at, uh, he played at UConn in 1997 when he was like 70 some odd years old. But uh, not a good time, a little high at the time, but. But good time, nonetheless. Will you, um, will, you will you repeat that name for me a third time, please? Ravi Shankar. Is it Ravi Shankar? Yeah. Okay. Shankar? Yeah. 
Yeah. On never. It's like Dave's. Uh, it's like Ed's pronunciation of uh, Carmen. Uh, what what were you calling him? Oh, apathy. Apathy and Shankar. I don't know, I don't know these guys. Or a piece, depending on which brother you're talking to. That's I'm going to have to edit that story down. That story, I can't let that story go out. That's I'm not sure what, what <laughs> how much of that story I told is going to the show. <laughs> uh, <laughs> My wife might have been right on this one. Yeah, I'm, she I'm, is. Yeah, I'd probably edit that out. I'm not um, I'm not sure how comfortable I am with you uh questioning my pronunciation techniques here, Jess. I don't know. <laughs> looks like, looks like we're gonna have a new uh segment. <laughs> okay. Okay. How do you say? Right. But um, either way, I love this song. Good song, playlist for me. Yeah, I think I'm gonna do another one of those uh a story was told on the show, but if you should have heard it, it was fucking good. Um, okay. <clears throat> Track number nine, when I'm 64. So guys, uh, my 20th year wedding anniversary is coming up on the 27th of this month, 20 years. My woman is a saint. I don't know how she made it this long, but she did. Um, yeah, I think without my change eight years ago, I'd probably be single living in the Pine Street Inn, but that's not the route we went. So here we are. Uh, this song moves me deeply. I love it with every fiber of my soul. The lyrics are amazing. The clarinet is beautiful. Oh, I just love it. I love it. Dave, what do you got? Uh, great lyrics. Nice song idea beyond, you know, the cars and girls, you know, standard uh, fare of, of most rock bands. Uh, great background vocals. I don't really love the old timey jazz. I I hate clarinets. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, the music is kind of whimsical, you know. So it's 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 a nice song. Oh, you didn't like the clarinet? Nope. Oh, Ed, did you like the clarinet? I did, and especially okay. why it's in there. So Paul McCartney wrote this song when he was 14 years old. Wow. Rock and roll hasn't happened yet when he wrote this song. So he wrote it in the music that was hot at the time, which was a cabaret style. Uh, and that just blew my mind when I read that. And I'm like, and I remember, I want to say, I remember maybe it was James Corbin or something did like something with Paul McCartney where they took him through his hometown. And there's a part of that where he, he's in his room and he's looking at his old bedroom when he was a kid. And that's when he actually mentions this. And then I reread it and went, oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about this. To write a story about a young couple growing old together in the music, in a cabaret style of music, I just think it's fantastic. I love the clarinet or oboe, whatever the hell it is. I think it fits so good. And it just, it's, I think this is one of those, it makes you happy songs. Like you just, you're like, I hope that that's what winds up being my life. Yeah. Makes me happy. I love it. Fee, what do you got on this one? Did you like the clarinet? I did. Nice. I did. Um, yeah. My youngest daughter used to play, play the clarinet for like three or four years. So listen to it mm. every day. Um, no, I mean, just another example of the Beatles being able to relate, relate to every fucking person on the planet. Um, great song. I, just timeless. I think I think we'll be listening to this 200 years from now. I agree. Fee, I'm shocked you have children. You don't seem like a father to me. How old are you? Just I'm curious, if you don't mind sharing. 51. 
51. Don't look a yep. day over 43. Look young. <laughs> Don't seem like a Thanks. father to me. I can't imagine you laying down the law. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, lovely Rita. So... <laughs> so the timing in the melody on this lead vocal it's awesome did you guys notice it the way he was delivering this and specifically like i said the inflection in his voice the timing the way he's spitting these lyrics and the melody it just oh god it's so fucking good it just is um this is a cool song and it has a killer piano track on it. We didn't get a ton of piano on this album. I loved it. But Ed, like you said, they explored so many different avenues on this. There is no formula. There's no formula. It's just no. everything. It's everything all the time. And I loved it. And um, again, there's just nothing not to like here. It's fucking great. Dave, what do you got? Well, a little piano and acoustic guitar to start and good sounding vocals. Uh, the verses ended oddly with a little instrumental section. Uh, I felt like it, it kept your attention waiting for that last line of the verse that never arrives uh, yeah. that, that you wanted to hear, but it you don't get it. Um, and then the, the song sort of ends strangely. It goes into a B section. Uh, they got a bunch of random sound. It, it almost seems unfinished. I would have liked a, a better ending. And yes, I'm going to have the brass balls to suggest uh you know that the the Beatles, you know, perhaps may have uh, fallen down a little bit on on their arranging here, uh, where they could have buttoned it up nicely at the end. Ed, what do you got on this one? I disagree. I like that. I disagree that too. Part of it. Oh, I love the opening to the song with the chorus harmonies. Just beautiful. There's a massive amount of. I wrote sound effects, but it's not sound effects. It's just the little, like, all of a sudden there's like a bell. And, you know, there's these little things that are only there for a few seconds that I'm just like, to dedicate the time to add those. I think it adds so much to the story of this song. And the harmony building just before the piano solo, I think, is epic. I mean, that whole buildup of vocal levels is great. Uh, I find this to be a great early era rock style of a song with the showmanship and production of a musical concept album that this is supposed to be. Uh, the time signature changes are fantastic and really keep the song moving in such a good way. I like the way it ends. I like the little bits of unfinished business in it because I think everything is crazy as it's been and no formula. This adds another layer of well, what the fuck? I didn't think of this, you know? And I love the way you said unfinished business because it yeah. is unfinished business. So you have to finish it in your own mind forces yes. you to finish it. And I love that. I love that. It's ingenious. It's yeah. Incredible fee. What do you got? Well, I think that was part of the making of the album. And like with the wax figures on the cover, they, you know, came from the thought that they could throw up four wax figures for themselves on stage and people would still come, you know, yeah, just play their music with four wax figures. So they, I think they do a lot of things to kind of fuck with people, you know, and, th and this might be one of them. Who knows? Yeah. Um, either way, the one thing I kept going back to on this song is like, you know, how some songs you have to like explain, like you were talking about with cassettes earlier, you have to explain what a cassette is to someone, you know, people don't fucking know. Nope. 
people still know what a parking meter is. They still exist. They're still in use, you know, and how how that, you know, how that happens is beyond me, you know, like even like the Pina Colada song, taking out an ad in the fucking paper. Like you'd have to explain that to a kid. No one would know what that means today, you know, or like leaving a, a, an answering machine, you know, a, a message on an answering machine. You'd have to translate a little bit, you know, what the fuck is an answering machine? You know, even a cord, a, a phone on your wall, you'd have to translate it, but not a parking yeah. meter. Somehow the Beatles knew fucking 55 years ago that they'd still be around today and still be relevant. So yeah. well done. I love this song. Good stuff. I was selling the Boston Herald as a telemarketer and uh, the true story, I swear on my, I swear on my life that this happened. I called a woman and I said, hello, Mrs. Liberary. And she said, try the public library. It's a true story. (laughs) I swear to God. I swear to God. That is a true story. (laughs) Yeah. That's a true story. Uh, And I swear uh, I believe you. Yeah. (laughs) Like, like I'm trying to sell it to you guys. Like, no way, Des. I don't believe it for a second. Right. Right. Mrs. Liberary. Mrs. Liberary. She was deeply offended by my, uh, my ignorance. (laughs) Track 11. Good morning, good morning. So it starts off with a fucking rooster. What's not to like, right? Um, Yeah. Uh, I love the shift here to John Lennon on lead vocals. And we're going to get another shift here that is, that blew my mind when I dug in and got the, uh, and got the 411 on it. So John Lennon's vocals, they're a little grittier than Paul's. And I like the change of pace here. I thought it was really cool. I mean, it, it made my ears peak up. And it just added to the no formula of this album. Just we're gonna do it all. Whatever makes the album better, that's what we're doing. I love the vocal on this. And then we get this guitar solo that was glaringly different than anything else on the album. It was different in the style. It was different in the sound. This guitar solo is fucking awesome and it's paul mccartney playing the guitar solo holy shit mind blown why was he the bass player this is the most rock and roll guitar solo on the album i really loved it and he got a different guitar sound than the other solos the other guitar sounds though good it's that 60s guitar sound it's so nasally and weird that i only like it because it says 1960s Beatles, and it's a very specific sound, but this is a really cool rock and roll guitar sound and solo. Dave, what do you got? Uh, yeah, it's a nice driving beat, uh, good guitar solo, uh, moves to a triplet feel, good horns, uh, some pretty funky guitar in there, and uh, crazy sound effects during the end. Uh, what the heck? I mean, the this band was at the height of their fame, you know, with no one to reel them in at this point. Is it genius or bullshit? I can't tell. Dave, I felt like this. So as a pet owner, I've owned all sorts of pets as we've gone through. But the first thing I always hear in the morning is my cat, meow, meow, meow. He wants his fucking breakfast. Then he's fucking pawing at my face and trying to wake me up for breakfast. Same with the dogs I've had. Same, you know, they want their fucking breakfast. So, yeah, first thing you hear in the morning is your fucking animal saying fucking feed me ed what do you got fair enough feed me your thoughts <laughs> <laughs> yeah what an opening i actually i love the rooster and then the dirty harmonies singing good morning i think the rhythm of this music is so different and aggressive yeah than what we've heard so far it really builds the end of the story because this is the final act 
this yeah. is it. The Kurt, the everyone's standing up and applauding for the next song, you know, yeah. and I think it's just it's I something about this song. I mean, yeah, it's the guitar solo is great. Just it's. I think it just it wrapped everything up neatly for me. That's the best way I can describe it. Yeah, it's fucking. It's really good. Fee, talk about it. Papa Fee. Wow, that's his oh. new name, Papa Fee. <laughs> hey, if you raise your kids right, you don't have to lay down the law. You know. Nice. Um, that words of wisdom. But, oh. With this, I'm surprised that this made it this far to me without one of you guys mentioning this track was written from based on a Kellogg's cornflakes jingle. Hmm. And Interesting. that's why you kind of get the breakfast feel and the, the rooster and the, you know, and all of that. So either way, this is great. I love all the way, just fucking good energy in this song. And, I, and I'm with you, Ed. It just, it does kind of finish up the story in a, in a way, you know, knowing what the next two, you know, things are for it. So yeah, exactly. absolutely. It's perfect. Yep, wonderful. There was about wonderful three months here. of time when my wife and I were trying to have a kid. This is probably about 15 years ago. Oh, thank God it didn't happen because after like like just a few months of trying and it just didn't happen, she goes, what the fuck are we doing? I'm like, right? Oh, my God. No, let's stop right now. And never fucking, <laughs> you know, I, I can you imagine how bad I would have fucked to get up? <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Oh, man. Divine intervention right there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So thank God, man. Every day I, I thank God. God, thank you. And God says, you're welcome. Track 12. <laughs> Jesus. Sergeant <laughs> Pepper's Lonely Heart Club Band Reprise. Uh, so like I was saying to the guys before the show, this kind of reminded me of Synchronicity. We get Synchronicity 1 and we get Synchronicity 2. This is my favorite half, if you will, of Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Um, it's so fucking good. It's so heavy. This is like one of the first heavy metal songs, one of the first hair metal songs ever. It's fucking amazing. Um, and as I was listening to it and realizing there was one track to go, I'm like, ah, oh, what a mistake. This should have been the last song in the album. They should have put a day into life right before this, right? Wrong, wrong. Because when I got to track 13, which we'll get to, I was immediately like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dave, go ahead. <laughs> All right. Yeah, the Sgt. Pepper's uh, part two is rocking. Uh, this is good. Uh, I don't feel like it's substantial enough to stand on its own. It kind of needs the other part and sort of bookend. Uh, you know, the rest of the album, but it, you know, in the context of the album, it, it's fine. I liked it. Yeah. I so agree with everything you just said there. Ed, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, the reprise, who doesn't love the reprise in, in what we gotta remember, I've been describing this as a theater production. And right now everyone's getting introduced and the applause are happening. Here's our ensemble. Here's the, backup roles here's the leads while sergeant pepper reprise is playing and i think it is perfect and it is such an intro to song 13 that basically closes the whole thing up in a nice neat package and oh it's just perfect it really is uh dave you know it's funny though what you said about it you know really needing the first half to be it's complete you know to feel complete how it doesn't 
you know, it, it's better coming as a reprise, right? Synchronicity one and two, both great songs on their own. That's the sure. difference. Yeah. So, Pete, what do you got? Yeah, I agree with what you said there, Des, and, and subsequently with what Dave, you know, you had mentioned with it, they need each other to be to, to be the set on this, you know, in order to be good. But I love it how heavy and dirty this this version gets. It's so fucking good. And part of it is, you know, not only with the police, but Fish does something similar with one of their more popular tracks, Tweezer and the Tweezer reprise. And um, yeah, the reprise is just so much heavier, like just builds on it. And so when you hear the first half live and you know the second second part's coming later on, you just get kind of excited for it, you know? And uh, yeah, and I was kind of getting excited for that every time I listened through this album. I'm like, oh, I can't wait for that to come up. So yeah, yeah this is amazing. Awesome. Um, track 13, we've done it. We've come to the end of this album and oh boy, if they didn't know how to lay out a fucking 13 song album, because there was some thought put into the way they, they strung these songs out (laughs) this a day in the life. This is a timeless master piece at the two twenty one mark in the song after the orgasmic swell. The song breaks back into the song and I jizzed all over myself. The end. Dave, what do you got? <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, intimate acoustic guitar at the top. Good lyrics. More great bass lines. Uh, nice subdued drums, but very effective. Uh, then they do the Beatles thing. We smash two unfinished songs together into one and somebody calls it a masterpiece. We go back to song <laughs> one. Yep. Uh, then some noise and the big orchestral THX ending. And then the record runoff five minutes, 13 seconds is the most goddamn annoying thing I've ever heard. Yoko was not in the picture yet, but I'll still blame her for this horse shit. That was terrible at the end. Fuck. Oh, yeah. The, that is the one downfall. But you do have to wait past the break because there is some silence. So a lot of people will go click over. But then the I right know like the it. whole the whole reason I even found that was on the cassette. I go, why is there still so much cassette tape left? So I put it in, kept playing and going, oh, this is terrible. <laughs> I mean, but it's imagine like having a hit of acid running through your blood. Yeah. And you're it's 1968 and you love this album and it ends. Right. And then all of a sudden your ear catches this this noise going on, this and you're you're not shutting it off. You're sitting there like whoa, and you're loving it. And that's oh, why yeah. it's fine. That's why it's yeah. fine. It's 1968. It's not 2023. Ed, uh, this is another song that is just absolutely epic, in my opinion. What a story! Now, maybe I'm completely off base here, but this is how I see this entire album. They just told a story, and basically, a day in the life is just the topic of what every song we've heard about up till now is actually about. It's just a day in someone's life. This is what happens in this person's life, in this here. I feel the music to this really closes out this album, like the whole Sgt. Pepper show with the actors are taking a bow as a song plays. It has a great variety of music and story, I hear the lyrics and I can relate to all the previous songs on the album in small bits. Cause it's small little 
innuendo references to previous songs, in my opinion. Um, I truly think that that is the genius of this album, is the final song encompasses the sum of all the previous songs. It also ends on what has to be, in my opinion, the biggest E chord ever played. And there's a documentary on George Martin, and it's awesome if you haven't seen it because it takes him from when he was doing comedy albums all the way up through his Beatles stuff. And he describes how they recorded this. And it was basically they had everyone that they could find that could play piano, <laughs> play a chromatic scale in the key of E at whatever speed they wanted to, so long as they all ended with the E chord at the same time. It's amazing. It is phenomenal. It's amazing. It's huge. And this song is so good that Guns N' Roses literally ripped it off and didn't even try to hardly make it sound different. I mean, I mean, yeah, it's a cover song, but it's Beatles of the Beatles. But I mean, actually, was that Wings? (laughs) Yeah, but you know what I'm saying? I'm saying that it's 1968 and these guys are pulling off a piece of music that would be on the radio, you know, by one of the biggest bands in the world that much later. It was fucking genius. People heard this and wanted to do it again. That's amazing to me. Uh, Fee, what do you got? I don't know what I can add to that. Uh, It's obviously a playlist song for me, but right now I'm sitting here. I'm I'm anticipating Dave's Watt score on this. I don't know where this is going to go. I don't know either. Yeah, I'm real curious. <laughs> but let yeah, me just say, it. let me just say, this is my favorite Beatles song of all times. It just is. I know they have songs that are probably better, but for something <clears throat> about this song that I just find so dramatic, I find the arrangements and the changes, and the way the different bridges and verses and choruses foil off each other, <sighs> it's breathtaking. No, no, no argument. No argument it's breathtaking. here. Right? It's breathtaking. Okay, guys, so we did the album. Uh, Let's quickly go over to the bonus track. (laughs) So the bonus track was brought to us today by one George Costanza of the New York area. (laughs) He writes, guys, love the show, and I'd love to hear your review. Rock you by the Dirty Loops. Um, I've never heard this track before. Um, this song caused my brain to hurt because every performance on the track was a hundred Watts and not the way that stupid fucking Asia song was. I was confused. That is not nothing on that was a hundred Watts. That sucks. It's fucking trash. This was amazing. Every, every performance, hundred Watts, the vocal, though, not my, my flavor of vocal crazy good. Crazy good. The bass and drums off the charts. Out in space good. Um, And of course, the brass gave me a little chubby. Uh, Thank God there was no guitar, or I might have had to give this 100 watts. Uh, So it was 92 watts, but then I had to add three more watts for the cool-looking bass player with the great hair. So this one's 95 watts just because it is so greasy, so smooth, so perfect. It's fucking Teflon and egg couldn't stick to it. It's outrageous. Uh, Dave, what do you got? 
Wow, I couldn't disagree more. Oh my God, I oh, hate shit. this. Uh, <laughs> the singer is a white guy who wants to be Mariah Carey. Yes. Uh, the other two guys in the band are Berkeley rejects that take any gig they can get just to try <laughs> to get away from their job at Best Buy. Ew, oh, is that record scratching? Oh my God, please stop. This is so bad. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> the lyrics sound like, fuck you, let's screw. I don't know where they got rock you from, but um, yeah, I'm hearing some bad 80s keyboards and <laughs> goth dude. Uh, no bass slapping. No bass slapping. You are no Larry Graham, motherfucker. Uh, is this some Bruno Mars bullshit? Because Uptown Funk going to give it to you. I hate this. My score is 32. I'm sorry. Dude, I'm crying. Can I change my score? Because that's what I felt in my heart of hearts. Everything he said. I hate this music and I hate this song. Why but did I you just say was... so? Because I was so impressed by the way they all played. Oh. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm giving it a 32. <laughs> I went 95. Oh, man. So, I never listened to this song again. Ed, go. What? I would oh never listen to this song again. <laughs> I'm going to see these guys at the Paradise. Why? Because they're phenomenal. They are. Oof. I'm sure they are. I'm, this is going to be the same thing as the Asia song. This is going to yeah. haunt me. It's going to fucking so they're, haunt me. They're a Swedish band. I believe they're Swedish. They're definitely in the Scandinavians. Um, and if I, I believe they started as they got together and just did a couple covers of like, like ridiculous songs like Britney Spears and shit like that. And they like overplayed the shit out of it and they went viral on the internet. So, um, the bassist, I can't pronounce his name. I'm not even going to attempt it. Henrik something. Um, is all over a bunch of bass channels that I follow. Um, and just when a friend of mine, Jeff, we were uh, doing one of our camping trips, myself and Fee, and he goes, all right, we were driving like, oh, I think we were driving to Yellowstone from Colorado. So we had like an eight-hour drive, 11-hour drive, whatever it was. And he put this album on. Uh, this is when they only had like an LP. And this was one of the songs that he played me. And I was just blown away that this was a drummer, bass player, singer, um, keyboard player, singer, um, because the dude's vocal range I thought was amazing. I think they're all monster players. Um, and the more I listened to them and really started to really break into the what they're playing, the amount of jazz chords that they throw in there just... I loved it because it's like this poppy jazz fusion type thing. But then when you listen to like, they finally put out an album, it's very European, you know, it's Sounds very, gay. Oh, it's totally not your thing. It's very <laughs> club music, but it's not like a DJ club music. It's actual musicians playing the club music, but playing it at a level that you have to be elite to play. You're making me hate it even more. <laughs> Dave's ready to lose his mind. You're making me hate it even more. Uh, I love this. I this is their albums or what I list what I work out to. It's so good. What's your score? My score is ninety five point six. Oh God! Why? Why? Why are me and you? All right, this is a problem. Pete, go. <laughs> Fuck. Well, same same origin story for me. On that trip was the first time I ever heard these guys, and uh, 
I, I love this type of music in general, so it's not a you know big for big deal for me to to hear it. It's not out of my comfort zone at all. I listen to a lot of like pop hip hop stuff like this anyway, and I, yeah, just high energy. These guys fucking bring it. I gave this an eighty two. Fee on that camping trip, did you ever find yourself naked in a sleeping bag with Ed? <laughs> no. Okay, uh, I'm changing my score. That that's not, on, not, not on that oh. one. Yeah. That's- Fucked up, man. That's fine. We gotta wait for Groundhog Day. Dave, you're going. Why? Yeah. It's mine's going to go on to Asia. That song has to go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I think going forward, I'm letting Dave go first. So I, because uh, this is the second time this has happened to me. Okay. Um, Ed, will you please calculate those scores? You know what it is? I didn't want to know the score, the position for this song. <laughs> go ahead, Ed. All right. So. Uh, the song Rock You by the band Dirty Loops is pushing 76.15 watts. And Dave, where does that land on the breaking vinyl wall of fame? All right. That lands us at number five, just under Skid Row's Wasted Time and above Faster Pussycats Nonstop to Nowhere. And you'll also be pleased to know it is above Asia's Time Again. Thank God that song is fucking sinking to the bottom. It's such trash. You know, we make the rules. We should just take that and just put it in last place. Oops, I deleted it. That's going to be it. That's that's going to be my Groundhog Day change. I'm giving that 100 watts if you're going to lower yours. Oh, I like that song. So now that's how we're doing this? Okay. Oh, my God. It's going to be like a game of war. (laughs) That's not how Groundhog Day works. Okay, um, so now can we do favorite songs? My favorite song, A Day in the Life. Song I would cut, being for the benefit of Mr. Kite. Let's also, I will give you my two replacements. So I would remove Paul McCartney on bass and make him just the front man. And I would replace him with one Stuart Sutcliffe, the original bass player of the Beatles, who was a very cool dude for the time. Yes. Uh, Dave, tell us what you got. All right. My favorite track was Lovely Rita. Uh, good chorus. I, I would have liked to have heard more of it, more of that mm. song. Uh, I would cut Within You, Without You, 100% pure hippie bullshit. Did not like it. Mm. Uh, I would replace John Lennon, uh, by all accounts, kind of a shitty person, and most egregiously ruined the Beatles by bringing Yoko into the picture. Let's sub in another poet, Jim Morrison. He doesn't play guitar, but it could be interesting. Could work. I mean, wow, he's that not, is an interesting pick. Not sure he's vocally talented enough to sing along <clears throat> with these gentlemen, but I do like the idea. Ed, what do you got? All right. My favorite track is With a Little Help from My Friends. And the track I would cut is Within You, Without You, just because it's didn't fit i think the rest of the album it was too far to one direction um and enough with the whole krishna crap at that point um i would replace george harrison uh because i feel at this point of his playing he was he kind of limited his imagination to just sitar uh and i would replace him with the as rumored eric clapton Oh, yeah, there you go. Um, can sing, can play, can do it all. Yeah, 100%. He would fit right in with the Beatles. That is a 100 watt replacement, Ed. Sure. 
Thank you. Fee, what do you got? Okay. My favorite track was Getting Better. Uh, I cut Mr. Cunt, Mr. Kite, whatever oh, that fucking shit. song is. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, I, I was kind of with Dave on this one, and I, I was thinking along those lines that I think I thought like who could who could bring it, you know, good lyrics with that. But um, but I wanted to find someone who played guitar, and I don't know if the lyrics part would cut it. So I said Lennon with uh, Jimi Hendrix. So it'd be nice. different. Yeah, sure. All right, it doesn't work at all, but great. Okay. Uh, <laughs> sure, he plays, he sings. Yeah, yeah, fit yeah. right in. Fuck it. Yeah, he fit not? right in. Who Jimmy's awesome. Knows? That, that's, Jimmy is that's awesome. like fucking. That's like uh, Stevie Wonder in fucking Jane's Addiction. <laughs> oh my god, it is not. Um. Okay, let's just give our final thoughts quickly and our watch scores and wrap this bitch up because we have been putting out some massive content lately. Um. So for me, this is a masterpiece with a couple of tracks that might not be for everyone, but they were for me. So this will be my second 100-watt album, this one in Back in Black. Um, it has to. I mean, it's 1968. I'm giving it a little wiggle room because it's an OG and it pretty much sparked everything. It's the match that started the fire. I mean, some people might say no. There were some artists before this that you know influenced the Beatles, but the world didn't care. It's the Beatles that started the fire. And for that reason, this is a 101 album for me. Dave, what do you got? Well, people may or may not know about my position on the Beatles. Uh, that is, they were a good band, solid musicians, good songwriters, honestly kind of overrated. Uh, they are not gods. Uh, they are grown-ass men who wet their pants at the mere mention of the Beatles uh, or anything to do with them. Looking at you, Chachi, from the old WBCN. Just kidding. Chachi, you uh, love the Beatles. Yeah, I, I just don't get it. Um, they started out as one of the first boy bands and tried so hard to break out of that mold and maybe tried too hard. You know, they would have not been as successful as if it was a band of four Ringos. You know, you, you had the, the cute guy and the, the angry guy and the whatever. Um, they had a machine behind them at this point who was going to tell them no for anything. Um, not saying they're not talented, but George Martin and their management made a lot happen. I'm sure. Uh, there is a part of their career where they got caught up in their own bullshit and turned into self-indulgent kind of hippie dorks. Uh, this album is ground zero for this. I'm sorry. This is my position. <laughs> I'm not denying there's some classics here, but that is in spite of their hubris and their let's get high, man, let's experiment attitude. Uh, I'd love to hear a Beatles album where they were jacked up on whiskey and cocaine. I guarantee it would be so much better. <laughs> um, I acknowledge their influence and talent. It's obviously a good album with a lot of cultural significance, just not really for me. I'm rating it a 70. That's fair. That's fair. No one's gonna. No one's gonna say shit about that. Um, I am glad I went a little high though. Uh, Ed, what do you got? <laughs> yeah, Des, I'm with you. This is just a masterpiece, in my opinion. Uh, is this the Beatles' best album? No, I don't think it is. Is it their most unique songwriting? I definitely think it's some of that. Um, 
you know, for the ever changing opinions that everyone has on the Beatles, <laughs> I think they went through so much with so much less. You know, like it's it's funny. I remember when I first played when I played my first live gig, and I'm like, oh my god, I can't hear the monitors. You know, and my dad looks at me and he goes, "Let me tell you about the Beatles at Shea Stadium. Do you think they heard the monitors?" Yeah. And I went, "Oh shit!" He's like, "They could sing. They were only a little older than you were. Suck it up and do it." Yeah. And I went. All right. And that has literally been my philosophy in everything. I'm like, well, the Beatles did it and they didn't have all the electronics I have. So I need to suck it up and figure it out and do it in for that 100 watt album. 100 percent. There it is. There it is. Um, Fee, what do you got? Uh, no, not much to say on this. I'm I'm thankful for D- Dave's take on this. That's kind of where I thought you were leaning as you talked about the album throughout the show. So um Good, my 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 spidey senses are there a little bit. Yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> no, you're good. I, they're not for everyone. You're right, absolutely. But I I just happen to disagree. I love this album, but it's probably my third or even fourth favorite Beatles album. So uh, with that said, I gave this one a ninety-one. Nice, nice. Yeah, feet third or fourth for me, but it has some of my favorite Beatles songs on it, which is why it's just uh, it's. Just, the shed. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Ed, will you please calculate those scores? Uh, Dave, you're such a cuck. <laughs> so close. You're such so a close. cuck. A cuck? A cuck. Not a fucking cuck. Uh, cuck song. Okay. It's not going to be a fucking cuck this. for making us do what we're doing next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. No, no, no. All right. So the Beatles, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band is pushing 90.25 watts. Ooh, okay. I was really expecting it to be a lot higher. Yes. Just barely creeped into the fucking 90s. That's, uh, thank God it did. Um, Dave. Please tell us where that lands on the breaking vinyl charts. All right. I think it came in right about at the right spot. Uh, It is number five, uh, just under Michael Jackson's Thriller and just over Alice Cooper's Welcome to My Nightmare. I'm, You know what? I'm really glad because I said to myself, okay, if I gave Alice Cooper's Welcome to My Nightmare, I think I gave it like a 98 or something. I said, this has to come in just above it. And it did. And for that reason... I'm happy. Okay, guys. Um, so, fuck. Next week, there will be no album pick because Ed had this idea that we had to do a Christmas show. <laughs> fucking, dude, we fought back and forth in house fighting all week. I fucking hate Christmas music. Like I said, I would rather listen to my own screams while having surgery with no anesthesia i fucking hate christmas music hate it and i know he hates it as well hates it yep and i did not want to do this and for some reason dave was like okay with it so instead of having this be like yeah instead of having this be like china where you have no democracy i i said okay if these fucking guys they put up with me all year long i won't fight it and i went along with the fucking river flow of shit 
So we will be doing a Christmas show next week. Um, we've all picked three songs. I'm going to dupe up a little uh, image of an album, a Breaking Vinyl Christmas album. It'll be a compilation album. So you guys can all go over to the Facebook page and check it out. And you can get a little uh, intel on the 12 songs that we will be breaking down next week. I've already seen Ed's. They're all fucking super gay. Uh, me, and Fee have, <laughs> me and Fee have wicked cool ones. And I'm sure Dave will bring some... I, I never know with Dave. I don't know. Dave don't be good. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe it'll be good. Maybe it'll suck. But me and Fee have made a pact. I have sent him a picture of Darth Vader holding his hand out. And I said, Fee, take my hand. Let me show you the power of the dark side. We'll burn this podcast to the ground together. Yep. I have a yep. Christmas story to tell on the show where uh, I, I'm going to leave it for the show. But let's just say it's not for the faint of heart. My wife literally cried when I told her the, the story. <laughs> So yeah, uh, show up. It's not going to suck. This show will not suck. I promise you. I'll give you a fucking Christmas you'll never forget. <laughs> okay. Okay. So that's it. Um, this week we will be discussing Vacation uh, with Chevy Chase on our sister podcast. Hey, did you ever see that movie? So go over there and check that out. And until next time, take the albums out of the sleeve and let the music breathe. See you later, guys. Adios. Later. Woo!